Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. It's hard to believe, but I want to welcome you here to the final week of a journey that we began several weeks ago. And I hope that the truths that we have learned in this journey will carry on with you for a lifetime. Because we've been looking at a very important question. We've been looking at a question we ask at all seasons of life. We've been looking at this question, who am I? And the identity question is such a huge question in our journey with God and in our relationships with one another. And so we've been looking at it from several different angles and we're going to look at an important area again this week. I wanna welcome those watching online, welcome those live streaming with us there in McKinney at our McKinney campus. And I wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who are a part of helping us as we're starting the last several weeks, our 1230 service, and so I'm thinking about you as well. Would you put your hands together and celebrate all of those that are watching as well? I'm really proud of you, uh, not just because of the reading of the books and the listening to the messages, but the way you've done this is something that can carry on with you as well, and that is that we've been gathering in circles, not just rows, and you may be surprised that not only here in our church have we had the most amount of new leaders and the most groups we've ever had, but we've had six churches all together joining us, and we estimate somewhere around nine to 10,000 people have been joining, not just to hear messages, a lot more hearing messages, but nine to 10,000 people in multiple places joining together in small groups like the early church and learning about their identity. And so that's very exciting. I'm so proud of all of you. And I hope you'll just make it part of your every day. And that is to join and connect and grow together the way that Jesus designed us to. I did hear a story of a very powerful small group that I wanna tell you her name is Crystal Riggs, and she has a quite amazing story. Uh, a troubled background, and found herself as a single mom. She and her daughter make her way, their way to church, and then they give their heart and life to Jesus. And then along the way, she's driving down the freeway at a pretty good speed, 60, 70 miles an hour, and she hits a concrete barrier and ends up in a terrible car accident. The car catches on fire. She spends multiple, multiple weeks in ICU, and in fact, she says when she finally becomes coherent, it took her 45 days because she knew she had burns on her body, it took her 45 days to even look in the mirror. And she told me her story. She said, I've, I've grown a lot in God, and I've learned a lot about myself, but I've still had some challenges related to what happened to me. And yet in her story, she says how Jesus has helped her discover her identity. And she's been going through the Who Am I book, and she said, I know more now about who I am. It's not about the condition of my skin. It's about who Jesus says that I am. And she took that book, and she's been doing a small group with burn victims at the hospital and helping them discover their identity. Is that amazing? 
And she said, I wanna keep making this available to burn victims, and I said, as many books as you need, we'll provide them so that you can help them understand more about their identity. This week, we're gonna look at really three chapters in the book, and I'm gonna be able to give you a little bit from each, but really the topic is a topic that I know you care about. We're gonna talk about who am I with my family. I know you care about it because it's the number one most downloaded content that we provide every year as we see people download messages and what you're saying is, this is important to me, but I don't feel equipped to handle the task that I am required to give. And so we, we wanna look at that in a little more depth. Who am I with my family? I'm gonna ask you to turn in your Bibles, an easy one, Genesis chapter one. Genesis in the very beginning. We're gonna go back to the very beginning of the Bible. I'll put it on the screen. We're gonna do a little stop in Ephesians as, as, as well, but the thing about family is that it touches all of us. Here's something that we all have in common. We all, because of family relationships, come into being. No matter what part of the world that you find yourself in, we're all connected in some way to family. The problem with it is we don't get to pick. We don't get to choose. We are chosen by God and placed into circumstances and yet along the way, though we didn't get to pick the circumstances or the backdrop, we get choices along the way. We get choices in how we respond and those choices affect our identity in a great way. It's something we care about deeply. It's something that we value deeply. And so along the way, we're being shaped by it. We're having to make decisions about it. And yet for a lot of people, we don't really know a lot of the basics today. We haven't been transferred a lot of basic understanding about this word family. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of confusion about it and they're trying to participate in it but they don't know and one of the things I've learned as a pastor is what seems so simple can be lost. And in fact, I learned this in my own family. One of my stories I tell in the book, one of my favorite recent stories in my own family and raising teenagers, my oldest daughter who will be going off to college soon here, in just a few weeks she'll be graduating from high school, I can't believe that. But when she started driving a few years ago, she drove off. The most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my entire life, my daughter in a motorized vehicle. She comes home. When she comes home, I have become my father. I stand on the front porch and wait. I was waiting with my shirt off. Don't picture it. <laughs> she pulls up. She's missing her right front hubcap. And I'm like, huh. Huh. She gets all her stuff out of the car. She's bebopping up with her little blonde hair and all of her stuff, and she's bebopping up the sidewalk. I'm like, Hannah Grace, where's your hubcap? I thought she would respond with some type of sane answer. I thought she might say, I hit something. I've realized she never knows when she hits something. She just hits it. I thought she would say, I ran into a curb. She, I thought she'd say, I don't know. She said something very staggering. She said, Dad, What's a hubcap? I thought, oh my Jesus, we're in trouble. Someone who has worked with families, 
one of the primary areas that we end up seeing so much crisis and hurt, I find a lot of people asking basic questions. Do you know some people today are asking the question, what's a family? What's a family? What is that? What does that look like? Well, and I know for many of you, even as I say the word family, it's something you care about. It's something that you're motivated by. It's the, it's the most important set of relationships to you, but you feel inadequate and you have a lot of pain. Every time I talk about it, I know you have pain there. You have missed expectations there. You have challenges there. So I know you're looking for some hope. You're looking for some hope and you're looking for some answers. So if you're looking for hope, let's start with Ephesians 3 before we go to Genesis 1 so that we know as we frame this, as we shape this, all of us have hope no matter where we're at. We all have hope. The book of Ephesians really centralizes around the theme we've been talking about. Who am I? If you were to sum up the book of Ephesians, Paul would sum it up with these two words that he uses over and over, in Christ. In Christ. That, in fact, that's where you find the answer to the who am I question. You find it in Jesus. You don't find it anywhere else. And the book of Ephesians talks so much about the home. It talks to children, it talks to husbands, it talks to wives, it talks about families. In Ephesians 3.14 he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So when you say, man, I need some hope, every family can have here on earth the establishment of God's desires, God's patterns, God's order here on earth because he's the one who names it. He's the one who brings authority and defines it. And so we see in Ephesians some hope. But I realize that it makes us ask the who am I question more than anything else. When you're single and you say, I want a family, and maybe it takes longer than you think, who am I in my singleness? How do I find in Christ when I define myself by my singleness? Then you get married, and it's a lot harder than you thought. And now you have two individuals, and you're like, who am I now? And who am I when this person who I care about their opinion the most is not providing for me the answer to the who am I question? Who am I then? Who am I when the marriage doesn't work? So many people who have had challenges in marriage or become divorced or single again, their greatest challenges am I now defined by that? Is there hope past that? What do I do? What about if I'm widowed? What about if I'm a single mom or a single dad? Like how do people see me? One of the hearts I have for single parents is they're like, well, how do people see me? Am I accepted anymore? Am I a part of anything? Can I be? Now I'm defined by this. I don't fit with this group and I don't fit with that group. Who am I? Who am I? What do I, what do, I do? And well, who am I with these kids? Because about the time you start trying to figure out the marriage thing, then the kids come along. And you have one, you call that an accessory. They bring reinforcements and they're expensive little creatures, and they're complex, and they all have different personalities, and you don't get a manual. You don't get a how-to book. And you're like, I don't wanna mess them up. 
And so you're asking your own identity questions when you're responsible to shape the identity of someone else. And so all along the way, we have to find hope. We can't look downward. We can't look inward. We have to look upward. We have to look upward. You're the one who names the family. You're the one who gives us answers. And so we have to have answers, but many times I find we have to start with the right premise. We have to start with the basic foundation. And here's something today that a lot of people think, you can feel your way through this. You can't. You need some principles that are greater than feelings. You can't just feel and flow your way through it because there's challenges coming. There's things you don't know how to solve. So you have to have a bedrock foundation of something that is secure. That's why you have to find it in Christ. The building, I know in McKinney you're in a different building, or maybe you're sitting at home, but the building we're in right here right now, we moved into on Palm Sunday. And as we were building this very building, I remember that when we were laying the foundation, it seemed like it took forever. I would come here every day, you know, I'd just be looking at it, I'd be like, when are we gonna get some concrete? It took forever because they were preparing and they were doing this, and one big part of it, of the preparation, was the soil of the foundation. There was discussions about maybe we need two slabs due to the type of soil we have so that we didn't have cracks and problems. And I'm so glad it took a long time. And I'm so glad that the guy who was paid money to be on site every day to measure the soil samples was operating according to some principles and not according to his feelings. Because it's been raining for like a month here in Texas. I saw we broke all the rainfall totals. So I'd ask, any leaks? Well, we're sitting in here dry today. We're sitting here with no cracks because there were principles. Now we invited my wife and some of the pastor's wives into the decor. More feeling, more feeling. That doesn't work. I'm like, well, that works for me. I mean, you know, that's, I know there's some principles to decorating. Don't, 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 don't email me. But it's a lot different than soil. It's a lot different than construction. You can decorate on your persuasion. You can decorate on your opinion. You don't build on your opinion. You build on some principles, on some foundational things that are true all the time. And when it comes to family, we've gotta have something that we can anchor ourselves to. So I thought we would go back to the designer. I thought we would go back to the creator. I thought we would go back to the one who lays the foundation that helps us with the who am I question. He tells us here in Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. By the way, none of us are perfect. No family is perfect. This family he's about to create are gonna have some problems. But the more we lean into his pattern, the more we reflect his image. The more we lean into this foundation, he created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. See, the cool thing about doing it God's way, God blesses his design. God will bless what he designs. We can't decorate according to our opinion and ask for him to sign off on it. When we're building, we have to build according to his design. He said, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fulfill this mandate. He says this, fill the earth 
and subdue it, rule over it. There'll be authority in it for you. Authority is not control. A lot of people in the area of family, that's the reason it presses us in our identity so much. It stretches us so much because we can control this, we can fix this, and I feel like an idiot over here because I don't know what to do. It's dynamic. It's, there's these people with all these personalities and all these problems, and I'm trying to fix it. Look, you don't need more control. You need more authority. Authority is what comes from God. Authority is not changing someone else, authority is influencing and reigning in an atmosphere that God blesses. And so he says, look, I'm gonna give you this mandate and you're gonna have this authority and you're gonna bring my way into it. And later he talks about how he brings these two individuals, male and female, who are different and they come together and they are joined together covenantally and it says what God unites together there, they become a miracle, they become one flesh. And so that's the foundational principles that you lean back on and all the way through, we'll do a series like we do every year on the home and on family, but I want you to know that there's all kinds of principles, but it all goes back to the foundation. It all goes back to the beginning. It all goes back to that starting point, and the foundation is the most critical part of what you're building, and we're all building something in this area. Go back to that foundation. You say, Jeff, okay, what does that mean? Well, I gave you a thesis. No other environment in our lives shapes our identity more than our family. That's why it's critical for us to understand God's pattern. You're like, okay, Jeff, God's authority, so how does that really work? How do we get his authority into my situation? I'm at odds with my wife. I have a child who's over here off the reservation. I got a problem. I'm struggling in these relationships. You're like, how does that practically work? Well, one of the favorite passages that we started in my family with was starting with the more of God's pattern. You say, God's pattern, how do we get that? How do we know that? Everyone just says, well, I feel this and I think that and I this. No, no, no. The authority of God's pattern comes from his word. It comes from the authority of this being over and ruling and reigning in the home environment for every person. So that means dad apologizes sometimes. I do it frequently, because dad's under the authority of this word. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel condemned or guilty, but I will say to young families right now, you better set your home up on the authority of this word. Because as they grow, they get opinions. <laughs> but we can't build on opinions. He stands on this. He stands on the authority of his word. You're like, okay, so I get a few. Then what I do? Here's a verse we love, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And so it's, it's more than, thank God for church services, which, which is just an important thing, never was an option in my home. We're going to church. We're gonna be in church, why? Because that's where we learn more about the word. But it's more than church services. It's more than Christian activity. It's when you walk along the road. It's when you're driving to the ball practice, when you're driving to school, and the pattern that I would love to share with you that I learned from my mentor and pastor 
is at night when I lay my children down in bed. The sweetest moments. Their ears are open. When we're walking along the road, when we lay down at night, let's talk about your feelings, your opinions, your perspectives, but let's make sure we talk about God's word. Let's talk about what God stands on. Let's talk about what God does. And so in these moments, we bring this into play. And so uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a battle. This is a battle like halfway doesn't cut it. Sorta, maybe, I hope it'll work out. No, 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 we need an on-site tester of the soil. We need to keep evaluating the principles because the enemy hates your family. Hates family, why? Because it reflects the image of God when it's done his way. So we've gotta be full on, it's full contact. It's full on, so we, when we're walking along the road, and by the way, in non-confrontational moments. You're like, what does that mean? That means when they do something stupid. And you're like, oh, you always, I'm telling you. It's not in that moment. It's not in the conflict moment. It's not in the corrective moment. It's in the non-confrontational moment. Let's talk about God's word. Let's talk about God's principles. Let's talk about God's pattern as we walk along the road. And what are you doing? You're shaping identity. And the best way to shape your own identity, we've learned this in this series, is to give away God's identity and perspective. So you're shaping your own identity. I learned about a walk along the road moment in my own life that I didn't even realize as I was growing up. My dad never called me by my name. Now he called me some names when I burned his grass and lost his boat, come on y'all. <laughs> He never called me by my name. He called me son. That's all he's ever called me. I don't remember him ever saying my name. He always called me by, he called son, son. And as I got older, I brought my college friends home. They're like, your dad calls you son, that's weird. As I started pastoring, I bring my pastors and friends around. Your dad calls you son. I'd never really thought about it because that's all I'd ever known. As I got older and began to have my own kids, I realized that's a walk along the road moment that he'd been doing my whole life. Son, 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 because I realized to be a father, and I'm growing in it just like you, and I make mistakes, but the greatest strength I have as a father is knowing how to be a son. Knowing how to be a son equips me to be a father. And it's the same thing for you ladies. Knowing how to be a daughter equips you to be a mom. And what's the principle? Jesus did what he did because his father said, you're my son in whom I'm, in you I'm well pleased. And it was from that definition to his identity that he did what he did. You're like, okay, Jeff, this is, this is like conceptual a little bit for me, so can we talk practically? Well, I'd like to just give you a few thoughts or theses and themes from the three chapters that make up this section, who am I with my family? How does our family influence our identity? Well, first of all, in the area of marriage, and by the way, single people, you're preparing for that. Your perspective of that now shapes how you participate in that. And so you're even preparing, but your spouse shapes, not defines your identity. I spend a lot of time talking about that in the book because there's this cultural idea that there's this person, this person who's going to complete me. 
He's, they're gonna complete me. And, and, and God's, God's ability to make two people one is amazing to me. And, and, and if you do it God's way, he does make you one flesh and you become one, though you're very different. Anybody marry someone different than them? You're different. My wife is so different than me. She likes it hot. I like it cold. She likes, she likes planned. I like spontaneous. She likes the beach. I like the mountains. She loves to go to the beach. I like the more the merrier. She likes quality time with me without people on the beach. So we sit on the beach. We just sit on the beach. And we sit on the beach. And after a day, I'm looking for a volleyball with a face on it. I'm looking for somebody to talk to. We're so different, yet he brings oneness. And yet, she is awesome, but she can't complete me. I have to find my completeness in Christ, and the fact that she's different provides opportunity for me to be shaped, to grow, because that's really what happens. You start off really different, then you eat stuff you never would have eaten, then you do stuff that you never would have done, and here's where it ends, all you young people. You look alike one day, that's what happens. <laughs> you just look like the same person. But the only way you get to the oneness that God desires is understanding the difference doesn't need to be a place of weakness, it doesn't need to be a place of criticism, it becomes the very foundational place from which, as you're secure in your identity, you actually become a vehicle of God's voice for their identity. And he tells us that in Ephesians 5, that a man needs his wife to be all he's called to be, he needs respectful words of affirmation. My wife is really awesome at this. I've always been a pastor. I was a pastor before I married her. And I've been preaching since before I married her and she's just awesome at it. From day one, she sits when she's in the service and she bats those big brown eyes at me and she thinks I'm the greatest preacher on the planet. And every time I have to preach, I walk out with my shoulders a little higher with a little more strength because I care about what she thinks. Ladies, let me tell you, he cares. You can, you can esteem him like no other. Words of affirmation, you're the man. He'll be like, oh, I'm the man. <laughs> it's amazing, but if you tear him down, your words matter to him. In the converse, it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In my quiet time this morning, I read from the Message Bible in Ephesians, and it says, the way Jesus speaks to the church, I love the message paraphrase, it says, his words evoke in her beauty. His words evoke in her beauty. Sir, you can evoke beauty in your wife by the way you don't criticize or try to. I've made this mistake. There's been times in our marriage where I try to make Brandy in my image not the image of God that he had created her with. 
and your words can evoke beauty. Your words can bring so much to developing who she's called to be. And so we have this ability. We have this ability to to affect one another's identity, to affect our who am I in marriage. Second of all, God entrusted parents with the primary responsibility to help their children discover their identity in Christ. And so there's a reason Genesis starts with that marriage relationship. There's a reason Paul starts with that marriage relationship because that marriage relationship, the unity of it has a great, great, great effect on the identity of the children. It's been proving that a stable home produces security in children more than anything else. A stable home produces confidence in children more than anything else. So as we're working on this, then every time, and I'm gonna tell you, none of us are perfect, a little bit goes a long way. It's a big return on investment, but moms and dads, we shape their identity, and when we begin to train them, train them, Our job, especially for those of you, again, with younger children, you're in a window. And one day you can be their friend if you train them today. But if you try to be their friend today and not their trainer, one day you'll find they'll have a lot of challenges. And I'm gonna tell you, why is identity big on this? How is it that a grown adult can be rejected by a two-year-old? You're mean. They're the scariest creatures on the planet. I'm leaving. Don't leave. See, if your main focus is their acceptance, you can't train them. You want their acceptance, yes. And isn't it awesome when they give you acceptance? But why are you training them? You're training them today because if you don't train today the lessons they learn in that moment, it's not about you. It's not about you. If they, if they pick up on, you're embarrassing me. Oh man, the fit will just go longer. But if they pick up on, I wanna help you with this fit right now because you're embarrassing yourself. And if you do this at 22, you're mean to your boss. Your boss would be like, I kind of take pride in it. If you throw a fit, that's why some of you, you manage people. Look, they learn that in the home. They learn manipulation in the home. They learn fit throwing in the home. And I'm gonna tell you, some of you young parents, love and train. Love and speak. That, look, that's what you did. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You train, and guess what you're doing? You're not just shaping behavior, you're shaping an identity. You're shaping an identity of the way God even relates to us along the way. So be intentional, as I said. I wanna repeat it, non-confrontational moments. Be intentional, not when they throw the fit in the grocery store. You gotta deal with that situation, but in non-confrontational moments, keep walking along the road. Keep walking along the road. Let's talk about why we don't throw fits. Let's talk about why we don't seek to get our way. Let's talk about how we respect authority. Let's talk about how we honor. Let's talk about, let's talk about who we're becoming. Let's talk about your spouse one day. Let's talk about your children one day. Let's talk about the future because the future just has a way of coming real fast. It has a way of showing up unannounced. So let's start talking about it now. And so we coach and we train. The third area is teenagers. Identity is the key issue of your teenage years. 
And I'll give you guys a little backdrop, a little behind the scenes. As I was writing the book and I had this section and we had a lot in it and I met with our communications team one day. I came in that morning and we sat around the conference table and I'm telling you the back, backdrop. I just, I just had, I, didn't, I don't know that it was God, I think it was the enemy, I just had this deal. I said, I, I don't know if I wanna go there with the teenage thing. And I said, I don't think I want that chapter in the book. This is why you need team members around you that aren't just yes people, but people who have a walk with the Lord as well. And they began to challenge me on it. And after about an hour of us talking about it and me thinking about it, that chapter's in the book because I have a great team. Because I'll be honest with you, I was scared to put it out. You're like, Pastor, why? Because I'm still in it. And a lot of times as a preacher, you're preaching from your experiences and what you're doing, but you're also saying, look, this is even outside me, it's, it's the word of God. And, and I believe that the reason that the enemy was attacking me on it as well is because I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen hundreds of teenagers impacted by this chapter and parents with teenagers impacted by this chapter. And, and the reason I believe the attack came to me is the attack has come to them. Technology has magnified every challenge that a teenager has. There's hormones, there's emotions, but let me tell you, for those of you that are not teenagers, here's what didn't happen to us. We didn't bring our little conflict at school. We fought it out on the playground and then we could see them tomorrow. We could go home and we could play outside. That's what my parents said, play outside, we're locking the door. We don't have anything to play with, we're bored. Play with a stick. You can kind of get all that out and break a stick or do something. Now, all the negative things in your world come to your bedroom and they live with you all night and you're struggling with all your own identity issues and then you have all these other situations and so we have got to be in the game, parents of teenagers. Those of you getting ready for that, we have to be. And here's a couple of words I think that the enemy works on, distract, Distract. Look, it's such a critical time to shape identity. And here's the thing, teenagers need you at the most inopportune times. This week, they're in my bedroom at 11.15. I'm ready to go to bed, get out. But they wanna talk. And so you know what? This is, this is big moments. My son needed me this week. I had something busy. I said, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. You're more important than my message. You're more important than the things I got going at the church. Why, you need me right now. Parents, let me tell you, sir, more money is not gonna satisfy you. Like seeing what you can do to shape the identity of that teenager. You can't be distracted. Don't take your eye off the ball. Don't quit either. The devil will try to get you to quit. I'm here to tell you, don't quit. When they try to reject you, and they try that at teenage days too, press in. Press in deeper. Walk along the road a lot. Non-conflict. Why are you past your curfew? What are you doing? What, the, what, what, clean your room. You gotta be an adult one day. Okay, there are those moments with teenagers. Walk along the road. Let's go to coffee. Let me tell you about life. Let me tell you about when I was a teenager. Let me tell you, pour in, pour in because distract is there, reject is there too. 
They don't want to reject you, but what's going on in their soul makes them make you the enemy because the enemy wants you to become the enemy. Don't get distracted and don't deal with the rejection. Why do you have to have your identity in Christ? Because they're going to reject you. When they reject you, just like Jesus does with us, he just keeps on walking in. He just keeps on coming in. And so in the lives of our teenagers, it's, it's big. It's huge. The stakes are high. And so I'm calling on all of you, all of you. And you say, well, I don't have teenagers. I'm a grandparent. They need you. They need your voices in their lives. And if we'll do that along the way, they still have consciences. They have free will. They have to make their choices in Jesus. But we can have a big, big impact along the way. I want to do this. I want to pray for your family. I want to pray for you because we're all touched by it. I'm asking you to bow your heads with me. I want to pray for your family. Father, I right now lift up every person. I lift up every person watching, 1230 service, those in McKinney, maybe online. I, I lift up families to you, Lord. We're all broken. We're all touched by sin. We all have felt like a failure in this area of our lives. But there's hope. There's hope, Lord, so what we do is we let your pattern, we let your principles, we let your word shape us. And I pray, Lord, that we would find our identity in you so much that we can help be a channel of your voice to those around us, of love, of unconditional acceptance, of security in your voice that brings change. I pray, as we've seen you do miracles in families' lives, I pray, that you would do miracles, even right now, you would start the process of a miracle in relationships in the home, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 